0: hey everyone you're listening to bootleg magic i'm nasri
1: and i am alia hi alia hey
0: how's it going long time
1: i know it feels like it's been ages like what how what is time
0: (laughs) uh i think uh should we acknowledge uh to our very small listenership that we know we've been away for like a month or something um we had meant to make these regular. They will be regular. We just uh, fell off for a bit. You've
1: been working on a show, so I feel like that's yes. a really great excuse.
0: Yeah, I do think we both have excuses to have fallen off a bit. Yeah, I yeah, I worked on a I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast already, but uh, I've been working on a TV show. That TV show has now since we first mentioned it where it was like an idea and I was still saying like it might be happening. We're actually uh, the final two episodes s- start streaming on Sunday, so the ten episode season is out essentially as of by the time people listen to this, probably the whole thing will be out.
1: That is amazing. Honestly, I just can't get over the fact that in lockdown, you literally wrote a whole show, filmed it. It's out. Like that's just amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, with a lot of help. So obviously, my two partners, so Firas Abu Fakhir. Who's uh, who some people might know from Mashrou Leila, who's one of my partners in Last Floor Productions, and Daniel Habib, uh, or DC, as I call him. So DC, who's my other partner. Uh, yeah, so we came up with this together, this idea for a show called El Shaq, Doubt. Um, and uh, Shahid, which is the streaming service that's owned by NBC Group, so the largest media group in the Middle East. They uh, were kind of looking for a similar idea and we'd happened to we been talking to them about something else. And so we were pitching it while well, they were also like reverse pitching us kind of almost the same idea. And we were like, okay, like we have to do this now because we we essentially want to make the same show. Let's make it happen quick. Um, then we brought on, uh, so we have a writer we work with a lot called Camille. Uh, who's who's based in beirut and she's an extremely talented writer and then fatima banawi who's she's the main star so she's the lead Uh, she plays the main character in the show but she also co-wrote with us and co-directed so it's very collaborative it's probably the most collaborative thing i've ever been a part of um i don't think there was any other way to do something in lockdown you know when all of us are so anxious and stuff to, to pull something off i think it needed this amount of people on this much like the same wavelength um so yeah
1: i feel like even just to have um to like kind of bounce ideas off each other and to sort of hold each other accountable because everything can just be a has been quite a blur hasn't it in in lockdown so i can imagine that that was really a nice process as stressful as it probably was
0: Yeah, I mean, the the writing was fun and it was kind of, you know, we developed kind of a system, I guess, to keep everyone on the same page. Plus, like I was in London, my two partners were in Beirut, still are in Beirut, and uh, Fatima and then uh, is in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia and the crew. So then as like lockdown kind of eased in Beirut and Jeddah, then like a couple of people were able to come over and shoot with masks and gloves and stuff and socially distant and all of that um and then like when the curfew came back there was a couple of days we couldn't shoot because there was a curfew so it was a very kind of beyond the challenges of making a tv show there was the challenges of making a tv show about isolation during coronavirus lockdown while we're dealing with i mean that was the whole point is like the, the the themes of the show are isolation and connection through the prism of a psychological thriller but you know we were all dealing with those same issues like we were all quite on edge quite tense um and it was like quite an interesting i think it's a really i mean it's our first tv show so it was a weird kind of first experience i don't think that's how it normally feels um but yeah like i'm so happy and like i actually feel really lucky like because i know a lot of people uh you know didn't manage to keep a lot of their work going like i was terrified i mean the reason we made the show is because i was so terrified the first month because all my freelance stuff dried up everything i'd been working on dried up and i just went into this pure like mortal panic of and I had, you know I, I still have the voice note i'm like archiving that voice note from april 7th i think it was when i told my partners like we have to come up with an idea like this is survival we have to come up with an idea now um
1: and i think we've spoken about that quite a lot haven't we of like that kind of pressure that um that we've all, you know, the people that are lucky enough to have stuff to do, like I piled my plate so, so high as well. And I guess now, you know, kind of having adapted um, to the situation a bit has been has been quite interesting in the ways that we're now thinking about how to go forward. So I guess even in terms of this podcast, um, you know, the, the May Kalamawi episode, which was, you know, my well, just such a fun episode to record, which was the last episode that we did. If you guys haven't listened to it yet, Um, go back and listen Um, so I feel like that kind of really made us realise Nastri didn't it like how important it is to kind of You know i know that we were like we can talk to anyone we can do anything like let's just have a catch-up show and you know check in with each other and that was kind of the idea initially and i think that that episode and the sort of the feedback to that and you know as we kind of think about how we want to continue going forwards it's very much something that we want to do is sort of highlight these middle eastern you know creative um voices that uh, that are that are our friends ultimately as well and sort of talk about um Talk about all sorts of things that, that interest us, but to sort of, yeah, niche it down a little bit more. So that's quite exciting.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, like one thing I've noticed as well about myself is that I've I've kind of gone from the survival mode to... Because cause everything's opened up again and everything feels a bit more normal. I'm in this weird mode where actually, I'm because it's gone back to normal, I'm a bit more anxious about the world. It's kind of weird. It's an oxymoron almost that because things are better... I I feel less like a risk taker. So I think that's why I, like and part of me wanted to take this break from the podcast to make sure we're doing exactly what we want to be doing with this. Because initially it was like, you know, none of us are talking to each other. Let's do something where we talk and whatever it is, is good enough and whatever. But now it feels like, no, we need to take this up a notch. We need to be better prepared. We need to focus in. And I definitely agree, like talking to May, because obviously I think we both, you know, have this perception that it, just because we're British Arab doesn't mean we only have to talk to Arabs and that's our niche. Uh, we should be able to talk to anyone. Like every, you know, I don't know, Dax Shepherd or whatever podcast host is allowed to talk to anyone. He's not confined to his, you know, wherever he's from. Uh, but I do think that if this grows and if we build an audience and if we, you know, get somewhere we want to go with this podcast, like I think it's almost a responsibility to highlight the people like us, but to I think also the the differentiators we want to highlight them to an audience that's beyond. That's why we talk in English, I guess to some extent as well. Is
1: I couldn't speak in Arabic to be honest.
0: <laughs> this is that's this is all I've got. I could do a semi decent podcast in Arabic. I'd probably be a bit too Lebanese. I don't know. I think some people might be turned off actually by the Lebanese, the, <laughs> Leban- the Lebanese ness of me, but um, but I think it's important. Like you know if as two British Arab creatives talking to Arab creatives from around the world, whether they be in music, film, you know, authors, photographers, uh, people who are leaders in their field, like in neuroscience, there's someone we want to talk to (laughs) who's a neuroscientist. Um, I think it's, uh, there's, there's definitely something there like to be, you know, we're proud of. I think we want to keep the same vibe. It's just us chatting. It's just us, Catching up, uh, you know, I think we want these conversations to be intimate. Like, I think that's what we really liked about the chat with May is that we kind of, I mean, I've never met, you've met May. I've never met May, but it just immediately felt like I was catching up with a friend on Zoom and we were just chatting about life and we got really deep, really quick. And um, I think that's what we're aiming for with everyone. Uh, We'll see.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's been, even the feedback, like, I feel like people are like, talk about like this really specific Thing to being Arab, and uh, there just isn't enough, is there? Like what? Like what? Well, I don't know. It's who was it who left? Someone left a comment saying, like, can you talk about how, like, Arabs... Oh, I can't remember what it is now. But I feel like there are just so many things. Like, even in my newsletter last week, I wrote about how I'm currently learning how to read Arabic on Duolingo and how I hated going to Arabic school when I was younger because it was on Saturdays. And it was just, like, such a flippant comment almost, you know what I mean? And I've gotten so many messages from people being like, oh my God, I relate to that so much. Like I really hated Arabic school too. And you know, all of this kind of stuff. And I think, you know, it really just, yeah, kind of hones in on the fact that there's so much, um, we're just so desperate to, to, to relate to people on these kind of levels. And I think it's quite nice to be able to provide another platform where we can talk about these things sort of in like a wider, in a wider way.
0: It's funny you say that because my, my Arabic, I mean, my Arabic's is pretty decent. Like my parents made it a point to kind of speak to me in Arabic at home in London as a kid. And they sent me, maybe it was the same Sunday, Saturday school. <laughs> but like I also went to Saturday school to learn Arabic. And I can't say, I mean, I think also the way they used to teach Arabic was a bit like really old school. It was like learning Arabic in the 40s or something. It was very, and it's so, it was so different to how our normal schooling was. And then this Saturday school just felt like going back in time, you know, to, to like a different way of teaching. Um, but I I think I got quite good in Arabic, obviously, when I moved to Lebanon age 14. And it comes and goes, like my, my reading ability and my ability to understand things that are a bit more complex in Arabic. And I've always been shamed by because my dad's quite like a successful writer in Arabic. And I get shamed a lot. Like you can't read your father's stuff. Like you should shame upon you. I'm like, I speak three languages. Okay, like, like chill out. I I have I I know three cultures. I speak three languages, but I but there is a shame around it a bit. I think, um, and even you know, just working on this show, which obviously is in Arabic, uh, over the past couple of months, it's been like I'm so much better in two months of just obviously ha- engaging with the Arab media. And, and entertainment market, and you know, the, these are our peers now, and writing the show in Arabic. And like, I just had like the skill level had to go up so quickly. And I'm so aware of how much I have left to do. And it's actually one of the main things I want to get much better at is, you know, like digging much deeper into my own culture in a way. Um, which
1: wait, so, question. So yes. you wrote you wrote the show in Arabic, yeah, and when you say that, do you mean you actually wrote it, sorry, this is like a really dumb question. Did you actually write it in Arabic letters, or did you like phonetically write it out?
0: It's not a dumb question. I, so we, as a process, did it did it phonetically at first in Lebanese, Arabic, because that's what we were most comfortable with. Then we got it into actual Arabic. Uh, You know, letters, this is going to sound okay, actually, let's explain this to someone who doesn't know what uh, the distinction is in obviously Arabic letters are Arabic letters, but with text speak, people have kind of developed this Latinized, so you can use Latin letters to write Arabic and you can use some, you know, sevens and threes, like the three is a sound, etc. So you can also like um, evoke certain Arabic sounds through numbers and all of that kind of stuff. So it's like a text speak kind of thing so we wrote it in that language <laughs> then turned it into Arabic properly written out and then because it was very Lebanese uh, and the show set in Saudi with Fatima uh, we basically saudified it so we made sure you know that it was a Saudi dialect and as well as basically some things that Saudi people wouldn't say to each other like you know the way Lebanese people communicate or Egyptians very you know each country has its own specificities in terms of what's kind of you know how two friends would say hello to each other or whatever uh, so we made sure that we localized it uh in a way that's authentic as well so it's definitely a process it's you know even if you're writing because obviously classical arabic is something no one speaks so you can't really write in classical arabic you have to write in one of the dialects and then the dialects don't really cross boundaries really well so it's interesting as well like thinking when you're writing for an pan-Arab audience, so across the region? Like, how do you make sure this is going to get understood uh, by everyone? And it's all interesting stuff. Like, I'm loving thinking about this.
1: It's so interesting. I recently read a book called um, Arabs, and it was like a 3,000-year history, literally, of Arabs, like, from the beginning of time. And and the kind of thread that the author sort of traced throughout the book was essentially the importance of the Arabic language in sort of – an identity um, and also just in the way that that kind of allowed, you know, Islam to spread and all of this kind of stuff. But what was so interesting is that he basically said that no one, like written Arabic is no one's mother tongue, which is so true. And, and you just said that and how that kind of impacts um, the spread of information and all of this kind of stuff, because so much, I suppose, is lost in in translation, I guess.
0: And it's funny because I think we go through phases of like one at some point in the 90s because of satellite television. I, th- I remember writing my thesis about this and so was. Uh but like, uh, because the Lebanese channels were dominant, so LBC, MTV uh, and, and actually even not just Lebanese channels, but Lebanese talent was dominant like on TV, Lebanese became the dialect. So everyone kind of understood Lebanese. And obviously for a very long time, Egyptian cinema, obviously, it, you know, the, yeah, represent. The, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like Egyptian cinema is the dominant force or was the dominant force in, in the region. So the Egypt, everyone understands the Egyptian dialect. So it's it's, and it also shifts. And now I think there's this more almost like democratic flattening out of everything. So you get... There's more and more voices from the Gulf, obviously. A lot of the broadcasters are based in the Gulf. Like Shahid, obviously, is uh, you know based in Dubai. Um, And uh, there's more Tunisian talent, more Syrian actors. Everyone's kind of in the same mix now, which makes this uh, it's very exciting. And I, now that I say all this, it feels also quite unique. It's as if all of Europe was one uh, media market. And imagine, you know, like... Because now it's so segregated, right? Like, the UK is a very specific type of place. The French TV and cinema work in a very specific way. But imagine all of the EU had one, you know, and everyone had to kind of, like, understand each other. Um, I mean, the language is closer. Like, I think, you know, (laughs) like...
1: Yeah, definitely. It's just, like, different pronunciation sometimes, I think, or, like, different words. But that was very much something that annoyed me so much when I was in Arabic school as well. It wasn't Egyptian, So I was like, why the fuck am I here? Like, I was such a terror. Honestly, I was a horrible child. Like, I literally made the teachers cry. Like, I threw a fit. I was like, yeah, I was horrible. I was so horrible.
0: Where was the school?
1: Um, I went to a few. Like, I think my parents tried (laughs) quite hard. And I was just like, not having it.
0: I just remember the textbooks being like, ridiculous. Like, just the examples were from the village in the 60s like i just couldn't understand like why is this you know kid obsessed with this apple he's gotten out of a tree like i don't know i've never seen an (laughs) apple tree like it was just so i don't know i I think i don't know if it's progressed because you've been using duolingo no
1: yeah which i'm really enjoying again it's not egyptian arabic but i think it is kind of like that democratic sort of language that you were talking about like they say j instead of g", which egyptians we say g". um but you know you you read it the same ultimately so i think for me it's definitely been helpful for that and actually you know there's been so much stuff going on in egypt um the past couple of weeks in term well the past week i don't even know like every day just feels like a month um but you know with the kind of me too movement that's sort of happening in egypt and i've yeah, been really happy that i can kind of read some of the Very, very, very slowly. But thanks to my learning how to read on Duolingo, I can kind of read some of the comments and some of the things that are being passed around on on social media that are written in Arabic. For the first time ever, I can kind of understand. So it feels like I'm getting an insight into what's happening in a different way to just the stuff that's been translated or that's coming from English speakers.
0: Yeah. Do you want to talk about that thing that happened? The... I don't know if everyone will be aware of this. Like I, 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 spotted it. I spotted. I think you shared it, and a few of other uh, friends from Cairo shared it. And yeah, I mean, we don't have to go into specifics of the case if you want.
1: So in Egypt, basically, and you know, I, I struggle to say in Egypt because obviously we live in a patriarchal world. So I, I, I don't like to sort of single out. But you know, ninety nine percent of women basically in, in Egypt have been kind of sexually harassed, even if it's just like a pss, pss, pss in the in the street, kind of like being crack called. Um, and, and that kind of fosters this environment, right? So there's this case that recently, um, has, is headline news in in Egypt, which is huge in itself, which is this guy, I don't don't know if I'm allowed to say his name, we've been saying his name, but we're saying ABZ now. And he's like this 22 year old who basically over the last five years, at least has sexually harassed or trigger warning, raped, um over a hundred, a hundred girls and kind of used shame very often to sort of get them to do things that he wanted them to do or to not come forward about the things that had happened. um, All of that kind of stuff. So, so girls are, you know, I'm so, just so proud. And so just like, just, it's amazing. These young girls are kind of now coming forward and calling him out. And it's kind of, led to this sort of spiraling where you know now he's been arrested i think they need to wait they need more girls to come forward i'm not really sure exactly what's happening right now um or by the time you listen to this i'm not sure what will have happened by then but um
0: i read some of the stuff like that he's been arrested in some i read one of the things by one of the judges i mean i mean i've, I've been following it kind of through instagram and um a judge who said something to one of the people who came forward one of the women who came forward something which i found like kind of you know comforting or touching he said you know you don't need you don't need to convince me i believe you and you've done nothing wrong something along those lines and i just felt and obviously the person sharing it was so happy to have heard that and it validates her story, and it validates what happened to her, and and kind of is the beginning of maybe some justice. Obviously, like you know, we don't like there's a, there has to be a court procedure, etc., and all of that. But, even
1: that it's being spoken about, I think ultimately.
0: Yeah, exactly. Especially because it, it has been brought up a lot, like like you say, it's a problem everywhere. But I think in Egypt, it's been brought up a lot in the past by by you know uh, even people who were sexually abused uh, during uh, covering a protest, for example, or that kind of thing. It came up a lot, and and it, it does feel, because I did see a lot of clips also being shared from, like, mainstream news channels, etc. in Egypt talking about this as, like you said, headline news. So it's definitely now part of the conversation, and, like, completely, you can't, like, kind of run away from it anymore. And, uh, yeah, it feels definitely felt like as an outsider to Egypt who doesn't know Egypt that well, it felt like a change. Like, it felt, and everyone I saw... All these, you know, kind of uh, actresses and actors and film directors and, you know, some just some people I follow in the industry, like everyone getting on board with like video messages saying, you know, uh, how much they respect the people coming forward and how brave that is and to overcome the sense of shame that was put in them, you know, by uh, but not, no, not just by the guy, but by the society around them, you know, uh, that he weaponized against them.
1: Exactly. And there's so much, you know, again, everywhere, but particularly perhaps in the Middle East, this idea that a woman should be, you know, is a jewel and is a piece of fruit. And if it's if the fruit is open, then it's of course supplies are going to come on it. And, you know, all of these kind of things of sort of the the impetus and the blame sort of kind of being placed on women um, to prevent this kind of stuff from happening to us as opposed to on men to like not be horrific. Um, Yeah. Sorry but so and and I uh, feel no, like no. you
0: know
1: <laughs> even that I feel like even that
0: I'm not one of those uh, not all men like you know like those guys on Twitter not all men like okay like we know you're a nice guy you don't have to tell everyone that's not what people mean when they say men are horrific. Like, just, you know, get a grip.
1: Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like saying not all men, real talk. I feel like saying not all men is basically the same, it's the same as saying all lives matter. Like, it really triggers me. I'm just like, really, guys? Like, really?
0: Yeah. That's like the whole... I think if we've learned anything in these few months, I hope people have learned some stuff. Is that you don't center yourself in a conversation about someone else's, you know... Victimization or problem or crime or whatever, you don't center yourself uh, when you're talking about them, basically.
1: And just be kind, right? Like, it's just mad that we're still having to have this conversation or that we ever had to have this conversation. Be a good human, everyone should be equal, respect and love everyone. Like, it's just bizarre that this is something that we're like, guys, please, can you just make sure that you're not racist or not homophobic or not sexist? Like, it's kind of bizarre.
0: I don't know i'm i think people would say i'm a pessimist so i think i don't know part of me thinks this has always been around that might always be around i i don't like that part of me that thinks that but um yeah i i just thought i mean the thing is i hope the thing is i don't okay so i don't trust individuals i trust systems in some way so as long as there's a law against it you know uh, there, or there's a law that protects people then i actually don't care about individuals because then the law's there and, you know, if you want to be a terrible person, you're a terrible person and you, you might be on the out, you know, outskirts of society if you decide to be whatever homophobic or whatever. But if there's laws that protect certain people, then then it's not really up to you as an individual to take that freedom away from them, you know.
1: And I guess the problem is at the moment there aren't laws to sort of protect um, all of these people. There's actually laws in a way like the laws are not the laws are not protecting us all um, equally or enough anywhere
0: can i ask you a question about like because obviously this is like a big kind of watershed moment in egyptian culture i guess uh and you're obviously not there so like how do you feel experiencing this at a distance like this big moment
1: yeah no it feels really strange and and i know that you probably have a lot to say um about what's happening in lebanon at the moment and how that feels for you like i know that when kind of the egyptian revolution happened 10 10 years ago, um, that felt really sad for me as well, where I was kind of like, oh my God, there's all of this sort of stuff happening in my country and I wish I could be there. And I actually have friends who are journalists who actually moved back to Cairo um, to be there at that time. And I feel like it does, it feels kind of strange because it's so hopeful and you see all of this stuff now on social media. So it kind of feels like you really, like I really want to be there. I want to be standing by these girls speaking out. Like I wanted to be in Egypt during the revolution and obviously I'm, I'm not, you know. So I feel like it is, it is kind of strange, but then at the same time, thank God for social media because you kind of just do what you can for he, from here. Um, so even in terms of what's happening now, like I... You know, I've been using my platform um, to speak out as much as possible and to kind of, you know, I was working with a friend to sort of put some some of the survivors and uh, the girls who dealt with these with these horrible things in touch with psychologists in Egypt for free therapy, um, that kind of stuff. So I feel like we just do what we can from far away. Right. And, and that's all we can do.
0: Yeah, like I, I felt the same I mean, I often feel the same with Lebanon because, you know, there's a, sadly, there's always a lot of stuff going on in Lebanon. And I've always had this, uh, it's almost like a survivor's guilt or something. You know, the fact that you're not there or you left it behind or something, even though I wasn't born there. But it's just, I've always had that weird feeling. And during the revolution the, that started in October, I initially had this feeling like, oh, I'm missing out. Maybe I should go there. Then I realized, like, ah, oh, that's a bit. That's not your thing. Like, you can't just go there to participate in this beautiful moment. Like, that's someone else's who, you know, is actually on the ground and suffering. You don't get to come in and, you know, take a few photos or whatever. But I but I realized, like, the, the only role, oh, or, like, one of the only roles as diaspora is you amplify, right? So... I would just like share reshare reshare make sure all my friends who weren't lebanese knew what was going on make sure you know i don't know journalist friends or people with the platform knew what was going on so they could talk about it and or just you know friends so they could talk about it at the next you know when we used to have dinner parties uh when, when they when they can go to like a dinner and tell everyone did you hear what's happening in lebanon and just you know create this awareness and even now i mean now it's a bit different because the the economic situation in Lebanon is just collapsing and, and there's this fear. I think unemployment's at 60%. Uh, 50% of the country's under the poverty line and they're predicting like way more is going be in, uh, are going to be under the poverty line in the next few months to a year. And uh, the currency's collapsed by something like 80%. I mean, I don't even know how, how, how much anymore. Um, so it, it is kind of now a different. Now it feels a bit more material, like we need to figure out a way to actually send stuff. So, one of the things I I, I was so happy about with producing the show during lockdown and during Lebanon's financial collapse is we pretty, I think we worked with around 40, 45 people on the show, and 25 of them are in Lebanon. So, we were able to like send, to like employ 25 people for two months uh, in Lebanon and and pay them for their services, which is now, because if you're not familiar with the situation in Lebanon, the banks, since I think November, have basically imposed capital controls you're not allowed to get your money out of the bank you used to be given like a couple hundred dollars a, month, a week then it became 100 then it became 50 then it became nothing then now you can only take local currency but the local currency is devaluing at a crazy rate so it's just a situation where there's this new concept now in lebanon of something called fresh money which basically means money that comes in either from abroad yeah well basically from abroad or new money that comes in you're allowed to withdraw withdraw that money so so I just felt like so happy. I, I, I mean, I mean, I don't know. You're not supposed to be happy when you're paying people. I don't know, but but I, I just felt this happiness of, uh, of, yeah, like being able to contribute to, to. And I hope we can you know keep employing people there. Uh, like that feels like something useful we can do as a company that's you know registered in the UK and 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 has that ability. And same, like every time I think of whatever, I don't know, like oh, I need a bit of copywriting. Like I'm I'm just always gonna think like I need to find someone in Lebanon. Uh, or a piece of graphic design or whatever it is um, I have that reflex now in my head is like employ someone in Lebanon that's gonna make a big difference to them way more than it obviously you know it's it's weird to start ranking people but you know it just feels one way to help as someone who's outside the country is to do something like this
1: and I almost feel like that is something um, that we're kind of just being a lot more conscious of in general right like the power of our money and our voice and like where we choose to to put it um like the other week was was black pound day and that was kind of an initiative to sort of spend with black owned businesses and to kind of place you know like if you want to buy something look at black owned businesses why do you have to go to like a huge big corporation um there's so many amazing talents from so many different I, I, when it comes to every single kind of business, right? So that's something that I know that I'm definitely being more conscious of is is where am I spending my money? Because that that shows what we find important. So if we're going to all start putting our money into more independent businesses and, you know, into, into again, not these huge, big corporations, then maybe that will kind of show that we're all really actually very serious and we're not just doing what's easy for us like quickly go on one click thing and just buy loads of stuff and we're actually being conscious of what we're doing and i think that is probably the biggest sign that we're not fucking around
0: yeah i mean i also felt this even here locally in london um with the lockdown and as places like emerge from lockdown like i immediately went when the bookshop opened, I mean, I was in tears when the bookshop closed at the beginning of lockdown. The Owl in Kentish Town—it's right around the corner—and I, I love that place. And uh, the the second it opened, I just went and picked up two books. I, I I have a pile of stuff to read that's insane, but I was like, I need to go buy books quickly as soon as they open, so they can see the the, the people are there for them. And same, like I'm trying to kind of go to local restaurants, and because the big chains and the big they'll be fine they have tax lawyers they have accountant like they'll figure out how to get the right government money etc but but that local restaurant you know they they're running it themselves they're doing everything they're doing their accounting themselves kind of like us as freelancers you know, or, or people running small businesses you, we know like how much they're doing on their own and they'll be overwhelmed and like just the, the comfort of seeing that they can keep their business going um, I think is very important so yeah like I definitely agree with that like the kind of conscientious spending um, doesn't mean you have to like eliminate like I'm not I'm not a, an absolutist doesn't mean like if this thing only exists on Amazon don't use Amazon like it's fine like you know like I'm just saying like you know if you've got a local bookshop around the corner that you love eh, just pop in from time to time you can do both you know you can do some here some there I mean I also like buying used books and I've, I've actually missed the charity shops Because the charity shops were all closed for a while. And it's always nice because you know that anything you're buying in there is you're supporting a charity. Um, So I'm happy to see them open up. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. I I think it's important that we keep this consciousness that we've discovered, I think. Like, how do we hold on to it as things get normal?
1: I think it's so important. And I really feel, you know, you say you're a pessimist. I very much say I'm an optimist. My dad likes to say I'm naive, but you know, <laughs> I guess there's, there's different words for everything. But I very much feel like, you know, and obviously Corona, like let's not mince any words, like has been devastating in, in, on so many levels. Right. Um, I, but I, but I kind of feel like, and we might have said this in like our first podcast i kinda of feel like it's god or you know the whatever we you believe in kinda of being like okay go to your room and think about what the hell you guys have been doing and i can really see like it's sort of like okay we we we've, we've sort of reached this this turning point i think when it comes to so much right like sustainability climate change like anti-black racism like all of the all of these things basically have just become abundantly clear um in lockdown with with sort of this increased understanding as well that a lot of our governments and a lot of the sort of structures that have been in place for hundreds of years are actually not again they're not serving us and i think we've it's never been more obvious so i really do feel like you know maybe in that sense we needed to stop being so distracted so that we could really pay attention to the fact that this is not okay. Like there, we, we don't wanna go back to normal, right? Like normal was not working as the memes are saying. And we need to find like a new a new way of doing things because that's just not all right.
0: And I think it's uh, the, the lockdown and stuff just accelerated stuff that needed to happen, right? So I've seen around my house, there's like 20 new bike lanes all of a sudden, out of nowhere, yesterday I was walking around uh, uh, some high street, like no, not around here, but like uh, somewhere in North London, and they turned it into basically one-way street. They the, widened the pavement so people could walk, cycle, and so restaurants could put their tables out, and and all of this. And you're like, yeah, this is nice. Like this is this would have taken ten years, like if you had to like debate it and get it through approvals and and all of this and and just like the realization immediately, like guys everyone needs to get on their bicycle everyone needs to walk every we can't keep pumping fumes into the city on all these buses and and i've i've realized like actually it's so easy to walk around like most of the stuff i need to do is within a certain like radius around me and i can walk too and then there's the odd you know yeah i need to get on the overground which i've done like now like with my mask and everything and it's not as terrifying actually i thought it was gonna be really terrifying and it was okay like it's not that packed it's a 20, 10%, it's a a 10 or 20% capacity. Most people are wearing a mask. A few aren't. Not that I'm I'm not a mask shamer. You know, there's a lot of people now, if they see a photo on social media, they're like, I don't see any masks in this photo. Or like, that doesn't look like two meters. You know, I'm... (laughs) That's my new pet peeve, is I hate social distance shamers. Like, whose only reaction to like a beautiful moment in a photo is, you guys are standing too close together. Which... I don't know why I did it in a Valley Girl uh, accent. But, but, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I think it's... um, I don't know what I was saying with all of this. Yeah, basically stuff has moved. Oh, and I wanted to say yes. The thing that gives me hope, actually, that makes me not a pessimist is anyone who says, like, Gen Gen Z or lazy or whatever can, like, go fuck themselves. Because Gen Z are so i'm so amazed every time i listen to someone talk who's 18 19 20 17 whatever they know so much more than i knew at that age they're so in tune with the universe they know exactly what they want to achieve they care i watched this episode of queer eye uh where they they kind of there's um she's a gen z activist in uh, in philly i think she's about uh, 18 or something
1: i'm obsessed with queer eye that episode (laughs) is so good you saw
0: that episode and when she was talking i was like oh my god like you've already dedicated your life to something like you want to end climate change like you're and there are enough of her in the world that i think they'll do it like because they're coming up right like we our, even our generation, I mean, I'm trying to speak for myself as a 37-year-old. Like, we're done. Like, we're not relevant in Oh, my God. We're years. not done. No, no. But you know what I mean. Like, change doesn't come from us. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I think I- I'm just so optimistic, actually. Um, so, I-, I am optimistic sometimes. When I see 20-year-olds, like, talking about the world and what they care about. And it's so much more interesting than what I cared about when I was 20. And so much more impactful. And so much more informed and they can challenge people and they can argue they can debate with people and and you know everyone keeps saying like cancel culture i mean i you know obviously there's fringes of it that's a bit insane like right there's there's fringes that do want to shut people up but when i saw this letter today that went around like people like cancel culture like against cancel culture and i think what that just basically means is more people are more informed and pushing back on ideas that they don't like uh and it's actually a pretty healthy debate. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. It's, I think some extremes of it on both sides are a bit of a problem because, you know, I, I don't think shouting matches are particularly interesting. But, you know, there's just so much more informa- people doing the right thing with information, I think. I don't know.
1: I think to, to hold, like, cancel culture, again, like you said, yes, it can be super excessive if, if it's... Um, mask shaming for example you know like whatever like silly like silly and like inverted commas or whatever but i feel like in the way that it sort of holds people accountable is fantastic so like for example jk rowling like what's wrong with like why do you have to wade into this debate that's nothing to do with you like if you have nothing to say don't say anything right like we're we've taught that we were taught this as kids um and i feel like yeah that is that is so important but there's so much like you said like the younger generation i'm so bloody impressed with but to make your you know we're not we're not um we stand on each other's shoulders right like we what the next first generation has done, like, we all... And there was one girl who I'm so in admiration of. She's 19, she lives in Egypt. And she was posting all of this stuff. Um, and I remember I sent her a message just, like, a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, oh, my God, I wish... I was as woke as you when I was 19. Like when I was 19, I gave zero fucks. Like I literally cared about nothing. And, you know, she very kindly said, well, I'm, I, I'm as woke as I am in part because of, you know, your book and, and your generation and the work that you guys have done and the work that the generation above you have done. Like that's what's made me as woke as I am. And I was like, oh, thank you for saying that because you made me feel much better. <laughs>
0: Yeah I mean yeah no no I mean when I say we're irrelevant I don't mean we're I mean we have I mean I feel I have a good you know 20 30 years of productivity ahead of me but um but I mean I'm keen to look to people I'm keen to look to people older to me, than me for advice on how to navigate the world and younger th- than me to understand what actually matters cuz I'm I think it's a good self awareness to have that actually like because I'm 37 like you know if I was 18 now or 20 something and graduating from university out into a world where there's no jobs and the planet's on fire and there's coronavirus and you're like, okay, like I wanna know that like, that's what matters. Like I'm already somewhere in life, you know, like and and I I'm 17 years ahead of that person in life, you know. So I, what I think about where the world is going matters a tiny bit less, I think, than someone who's just emerging fresh into the world, into like adult world. Like they know what's up. They know what the real problems are that we can't see anymore because we're nice and comfy and you know we've we've found the rhythm or whatever or we have habits or
1: yeah i just wrote an article about this actually and i what i wanted to really say was i think that the old people like should just get the hell out of the way like and just let the young people you know at least listen like don't call us naive okay i'm i keep putting myself with the young people i feel like i'm like kind of in the middle i'm like yeah me too um but i feel like it's kind of like don't say that we're naive right like actually listen and and there was i wrote like if if being naive is kind of having the the sort of belief in um belief that the world can be improved and the kind of the energy to fight for that then being naive is a gift like thank god you know if we were born jaded we would live in like it would just be a disaster no one would fight
0: for anything totally agree so wait hang on i think i'm optimistic I think I've just realized that we're not. (laughs) Shit, I'm an optimist. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm going to regret becoming an optimist, I think.
1: No, being optimistic is so much better than being pessimistic. Otherwise, everything's just so scary.
0: I think actually pessimistic people... I, I think I read this somewhere the other day. Like, pessimistic people just really care... You know, like, because you, you you can only be pessimistic about things you care about. I don't know. I might be misquoting that. Maybe that's bullshit. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I guess it's a way to, like, protect yourself in a way, though, right?
0: Yeah. And I think also I have this competing kind of Lebanese side, British side. You know, I think also identity feeds into, like, whether you're an optimist or a pessimist or or how vocal you are about your optimism like you know brits tend to make fun of americans for being overly optimistic and you know everyone in lebanon basically thinks the world's always about to end uh like if you ask someone in lebanon like you know do you want to meet up next wednesday they'll be like let's you know let's stay alive till next wednesday which they've always said by the way it's not like a new thing it's it's every and i never understood that concept of you know and then like obviously then a british person will tell you you know are you free the second week of february yeah. for a drink and you're like okay like let's 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 wait to make that plan
1: i definitely hope that's not something that we go back to to be honest i hated having plans months and months in advance
0: yeah it always felt a bit i don't know like i love spontaneity uh and just like texting i mean i understand it gets tougher as you get older and people have kids and pets and whatever like just saying like hey you want to grab a beer like and in an hour like that's my favorite thing in the world like yeah like i'm in the mood for a beer in an hour and you just jump out of the house and yeah
1: speaking of which have you seen all the mental people in the thousands outside pubs and stuff and how are you feeling about about all of that
0: look yeah i mean it's funny i don't know if we've said this but i think at the beginning of lockdown we were kind of all terrified into accepting lockdown in kind of the same way like we're told this thing is terrifying we don't know what it does uh, it kills old people, you know. So everyone kind of was like, "Okay, we need—we need, accept that we all need to stay at home." But as we emerge from lockdown, and we kind of all had the same anxieties as well, so we we're all kind of doing the same things. Everyone's was washing their hands a thousand times, and did, you know putting detol on their shopping and whatever. But now, as we come out of lockdown, I think we're all coming da- out at different speeds. Uh, so, for example, like, oh, even me and my wife like have very differing uh, kind of comfort. Like, I'm getting on a flight next Friday.
1: Wow.
0: Um I'm, I'm not I'm, I can't say I'm terribly excited about getting on a flight and and I do have to get I have to get a PCR swab test before the flight and on arrival. So I'm going to spend like the whole day getting stuff shoved up my nose and into my throat. But uh, but the um, but yes, yeah, so like I see this kind of difference now like some people just don't care at all. Some people are still wearing like visors and masks and gloves and so we've all kind of uh, emerged from this in, at different speeds. And so, yeah, like, when I saw those photos of people in Soho, like, shoulder to shoulder, d- drunk off their face, like, and, and I was like, come on, like, we're still in the middle of this thing. Like, I appreciate the new, like, I went to a restaurant yesterday and sat outside on a terrace, but I was, you know, I was three meters away from everyone. We were outdoors, very distanced, uh, very calm, like, no, you know, obviously there weren't, like, the restaurant was way below capacity, all of that kind of stuff. And that felt okay. Like, I'm comfortable with that. Even though it's a bit weird, huh? Like, I, it was a weird first step out into the world. But from there to, like, let's all, like, mosh pit together in the middle of Soho, like, off our face, is I'm not there in any shape or form.
1: That gives me serious anxiety to think of that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I look, I mean, I understand it's been tough on people. It's been tough on people's mental health. It's been tough if you're single. It's been tough if, I don't know, if you're 20 and, like, these are supposed to be the best years of your life. Like, I understand all of those things. I just hope it doesn't take us, you know, because, you know, now we see around the world, like, people, like, locking down again and stuff. Like, I really hope we don't get there because then I think it's going to be very tough on everyone to, like, have to go back into that mindset. Um, Yeah, and I I kind of hope that it was just one night because it was the first night and that a lot of cameras were there and it, it, it isn't actually representative of how this is happening around the country that actually maybe it's a bit less a bit less intense when people actually do go out to the pub it's actually going to look a bit more organized than that and that was just like because everyone was calling it like super saturday or something or like you know people had given it this name and they're like if you're not drunk at 9 a.m oh on super God. saturday like you're not you haven't you're not doing it right and there was all this weird messaging around it and And i think also it did scare people like i think seeing those images like it put me off like i've there's no way on earth i'm going near uh, you know a pub like i don't want to be in that environment like restaurants yes cafe yes but i don't know or maybe pub but like a weird hour where there's no one there but not at that kind of peak time saturday night yeah. I happy. think it's so
1: interesting to see what everyone's different comfort levels are. Like I just went to um Soho Farmhouse with my mom for a couple of days, which I'd literally been dreaming of the entire lockdown, like the whole lockdown. I was like I just want to be in Soho Farmhouse. Um so I managed to like book a room and I went with my mom and it was so nice and it w- it, it was a bit strange because it was almost like I almost felt like there was no Corona there. Like they had, they took everyone's temp. Like they checked everyone before they went in the staff to get their temperatures checked every single day. Um, There was like social distancing. It was very under capacity. We sat mostly outside. Um, So all of that kind of stuff, I was like, okay, this is within my comfort zone. Like I'm happy with this. This is great. It was such a needed kind of change of scenery. And I guess, yeah, it depends what everyone's different comfort zones are. But I have major trust issues um, where I don't trust anyone. Like very much, very much we're out, not because Corona's done, but because of, you know, again, mental health, but also mainly probably the economy. So I'm very conscious of that. And there was actually something really funny that, well, it's not very funny, but it was kind of doing the rounds on Twitter the other day, this tweet where, someone said wait so my husband can go to the pub and he can go to the barber but he can't come with me to have our baby
0: yeah the yeah that's the other thing is you know someone also said okay so we can go to the pub but we can't go to the gym like what are you talking about so there's there's all these weird again it's like the speed of the unlocking is like it's so different for different things and, yeah, I mean, it's it's absurd. Like, you can't... If you're going with someone to the emergency room, you can't go in with them. So, like, imagine you're, like, there for emotional support for someone. You have to wait at the door.
1: But you can go get your hair done.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, look, they also have to save the economy. Like, I understand... The thing is, I understand all sides. And it's very hard to reconcile in my brain. The ones I don't understand are, like, people being, like, really flippant and, like, you know, kind of just irresponsible. But I understand, you know, you do have to reopen the economy... You do have to keep people safe. Like, how do we... I think it's, it's like everything, right? Like, we know that cars are dangerous, right? Everyone drives around. There's lots of accidents a year. But we've made the kind of risk analysis that we're comfortable with this amount of death a year if it gets us from A to B and does this efficiency, which is horrible. Like, no human being thinks that way. That's like how systems think, right? So now we're at a level where this is the system thinking or technocrats or people, you know, kind of... Who have to just crunch numbers? They're like, yeah, we we've spent two hundred billion pounds stimulating the economy to make sure it doesn't collapse, and it's still gonna go down twenty percent. Uh, and yeah, so we just need to open Nando's now. <laughs> you know, like that's the that's the calculation I think.
1: And I wonder if that's something to do with I guess you know I know at the beginning when we at the beginning of this episode we, you were kind of episode that's such a weird thing to say at the beginning of this conversation that we're having. Um, you said that you know you were feeling a bit un- anxious about the sort of things reopening. And I guess that's, we all feel like that. And I guess that's in part why, right? Because there's like, we just don't know. Like in lockdown, it was like, okay, stay at home. Don't go out. This is what you're supposed to do. Whereas now, you know, it's up to everyone to like do what they feel comfortable with essentially. And I guess that
0: feels weird. Yeah, I saw, uh, you know, I've been watching, uh, you know, this comedian John Mulaney uh he's a great stand-up comedian and for some reason i hadn't, i mean i'm a big stand-up fan and i never i've always seen him and stuff but i never actually watched his stuff and so i'm on a huge john mulaney binge i've seen all his shows i'm watching all his interviews with on all the late night shows and stuff and he was on i think colbert like in confinement and he was saying basically he's like i love this because i love being told by the government stay at home it's like i'm very good at following or stay at home it's a good thing. You're not lazy for staying at home. You're doing good by staying at home. And my wife was like, that's how I feel. I feel that way. Like It was so comforting to be told, stay at home, focus on yourself. You're a hero. And, and now that we've lost that, it's just a bit like, eh, I don't know. Am I being a dick because I'm not wearing a mask while I'm alone in the middle of the park? Should I be wearing a mask? You know, like there's all these, and obviously I think the UK specifically has its own set of problems that like the messaging has been horrendous and we haven't really understood for a good couple of months, like what we're actually supposed to be doing.
1: Forever.
0: Yeah. So we're, I'm kind of taking my cues from other countries, like on what they're doing, right. Uh, and trying to stick to that. Uh, but I don't know, like overall, I'm quite happy because I was really sad at the beginning of lockdown. In a weird way, like the thing that, and I think we discussed this, but one of the things that made me most sad was to see kind of restaurants empty and with the, the chairs on the tables and for, for weeks on end, it made me very emotional because it just felt like the social element of the city had been withdrawn. And without that, like, what is a city? And and seeing it back, even though I don't want to go, like, I walked past the pub that was not full, but, like, you know, was busy. And I don't want to go in, but it was just so, it made me so happy to see it with the lights on, with, you know, people smiling and stuff. And I was like, okay, like, there's, it's, we're back. Like, we're we're going to recognize the nice aspects of life. And like we said earlier, as long as we also like learn a few things coming out of this, we're good.
1: You know what I've noticed as well? Everyone's so nice right now, in a way. Like, like at Soho Farmhouse just now, everyone, like all the waiters, all the waiters, and like the waitress, like the all the, everyone who's there, right? Like random, I bumped into a random person, like. We're all just like so happy to see someone and just have some small talk. I think that's almost, I always, I hate, I hate small talk, right? Like it's not something that I've ever enjoyed. But to just bump into someone and be like, hey, how are you? Yeah, what's up? And just have like, just chat some shit basically. Instead of like deep DMCs with my homies on the phone. Feels so nice.
0: What's a DMC?
1: Deep meaningful Oh, deep, deep meaningful, oh yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Sorry, I haven't heard you that. Got in it, a while. You got it. You got it. You didn't need me to tell you. Okay, let's do uh, are we doing recommendations. Let's do some recommendations.
1: Yeah. What have you been reading, watching, listening
0: to? I okay. Good question. I haven't been watching a ton of TV. Actually, I've been like busy making TV. <laughs> Was that? Yes. That's, a douchey, <laughs> that's such a douchey <laughs> thing to say. Um, no, I've been uh, I've been watching. Kind of, I, th- I think I could say it's trashy. I've been watching something called Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix.
1: I haven't heard of it.
0: Yeah, it's like number one on Netflix. It's basically what it does, says on the tin, right? Unsolved Mysteries, murders that have gone unsolved. And at the end, they say, like, if you have any information about this murder. Like, you know, like, and um, which, I, you know, <laughs> true crime has its problems. But it's, I don't know, it's entertaining. Uh, there's something, I'm probably wired in a way. And I keep wanting to make like Arab true crime.
1: You love true crime. I feel like every time I talk to you, you like, that's what you're reading or watching or thinking about.
0: Yeah. 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 Let's not dig into that too much. I'm not <laughs> sure what that's about. <laughs> um, reading. I just read literally a couple of hours ago an essay by uh, Lina Munzer, who's a Lebanese writer and translator. And she, I think, to my mind, is de- definitely the best Lebanese writer, writer, writing in english uh, but i think one of the leading i think she's going to be one of the top writers in the world to be honest because she's she's in this um this is an essay taken from uh, a new anthology uh called the tale of two worlds yes i think that's what it's called you know, it it's about like clients say, say it I don't again with more
1: conviction
0: it's called *The tale of two worlds available now no but um <laughs> It's it's edited by uh, uh, by Freeman John Freeman who's a, who's like a very well known like editor and has a, a literary publication, and her essay in that is about kind of the sewage system in Beirut, which you wouldn't think is an interesting subject for for an essay, but is just so beautifully written, so evocative, so like raw. Um, and and she says so much about the country through its sewage system and about the world, really, and about inequality and and everything. And yeah, I mean, I'm just like blown away. Like, it's one of, you know, when you're a writer and you read a, a writer that's like a million times better than you, and you're like, eh, like, what's the point? Like, why am I even trying? That's how I feel when I read her stuff. So, Lina Munzer, check her out.
1: I love that. I, it's so interesting, isn't it? You can talk about anything. Um, You can, like, extrapolate anything to, like, a a, a specific theme. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think that's really cool. I know what you mean. Thank you.
0: What Um, about you? What have you been... uh...
1: I've been obsessed with Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You. It's uh, BBC and HBO Max, and she is honestly just a phenomenal storyteller. She's also the writer and star of Chewing Gum, um and so this is a new show that's just come out and it's it's partly i think based on a real experience that happened to her where she was date raped um is that what it's called when someone puts something in your drink i think that's what it's called
0: date raped it's what it used to be called
1: yeah, and it's basically all about consent, which I feel like is such obviously an important topic, and it just it just kind of hits it from so many different angles, and is masterfully done, and is really authentic to London, and yeah, just absolutely genius. So I would if you haven't watched it, then do.
0: I've heard so many good things about this, and I love her. I used to love. I love chewing gum. I love her. I've seen her in a couple of other things. Like I mean, she's mesmerizing, but. Um... It just feels like the subject matter is so hard
1: but it's not it's done in such a good way like it's quite funny at times it's really poignant at times like it's not like you sit there crying like you know sometimes it like sneaks up on you like it's a very subtle thing where you're like oh i didn't i didn't know that the line of consent was there you know like sometimes it's quite subtle and i feel like those are really interesting nuances that we all need to think about like it's not so always so obvious right
0: right yeah, I mean, it looks... It look, and I was reading an interview with her in Vulture, I think. I mean, she's just so fascinating. And um, so principled as well, like in her... Like where she, how she wanted to make the show. Like almost, I don't know. I mean, maybe the word visionary is, you know, I don't know. Actually, yeah, fucking visionary. <laughs> you know, like she, she, she knew exactly what she wanted to do. And, and like followed it exactly. And it was, uh, yeah. I'm, I might watch that tonight, actually.
1: Honestly, it's, but there's two new episodes. I think it's two episodes coming out every week um which is also quite a nice i actually quite like that i don't want to have to be like i want two you know i want all of them but two is quite exciting so actually i'm gonna watch them tonight which i'm really excited about the two new ones um so that's super good and then i recently finished i just finished reading um modesty a fashion paradox uh by hafsa lodi who's a great journalist who lives in dubai who i first came across when she interviewed me about my book a few months back um, and this is nonfiction and it addresses, you know, it's not something that I think about in terms of like dressing modestly, right? Or it's, it's not it's not relevant particularly to my life. But I actually find that quite interesting to not just read, obviously, books that sort of echo your own beliefs, right? Like it's quite interesting to read other things. And it's a very balanced um, kind of look at modest fashion and what that means, the rise of it um how you know global brands are kind of jumping on the trend um like touch goes into some of the 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 modest fashion bloggers who have made it and it was a really interesting read actually i enjoyed it
0: that's cool i I met a designer here and because my wife's a fashion designer obviously and she uh had a kind of group sale group show i don't know what the term is but she was selling at a pop-up event uh, with a designer who does modest clothing and i don't know why i had this i guess like antiquated notion that like modest clothing means boring or means you know whereas like this was the coolest shit i'd seen like it was so cool the colors were so vibrant it was so i mean and it just like seeing that one like rack of clothes like completely changed my my mindset around what it means
1: yeah, no, I think that that's what the book did for me as well. Like, because I've always had a bit of a weird thing about the word modest. Like, I'm like, so are you saying that everyone who doesn't dress like that is immodest? Um, but that's even that's even something that she tackles in the book. Um, yeah, it, it was yeah interesting. I think it's again about choice, isn't it?
0: Mhm. Cool. Shall we wrap this up? This was fun.
1: Yeah, it was nice to chat like- again i know honestly i hopefully next time we'll we're still on zoom right but next time we're not zoom we're we're still recording um not together Virtually, yeah but soon soon we'll be back and hopefully next time next time we'll have a a guest um so yeah we'll be doing a bit of both won't we some solo and some with guests
0: yeah and we'll be keeping you informed of like what you know what we're doing what's coming up uh do subscribe do tell your friends do leave a review the usual stuff that helps people find us
1: thank you for listening
0: bootleg magic bye bye
1: bye